What are the chances the Falcons trade for a quarterback this season? Very low. We'll break it down on today's Locked On Falcons. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code all lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. And we thank each and every one of you guys. For making this illustrious podcast your first listen. If you don't know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, aka Sirius Black, aka Mr. Drew. My friends call me Negative Nancy. You can call me Mr. Drew, right? But if you want to become one of my friends, you know, just become an everydayer of this podcast and make it your first listen, your first watch, whatever. And all you got to do is subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today is basically an extra leftover mailbag episode where I didn't get to all the questions that were submitted some of the pretty much all of these were submitted on the discord uh, earlier this week and I didn't get to those on the usual Wednesday all 22 review Q&A as I've said before uh, over the last couple of weeks since we started up the subtext the subtext uh, subscribers uh, get the precedent there which is usually followed by the discord the discord folks got leapfrog because they they got the precedent over like Twitter and other places Uh, but I, I do like to you know, the Discord usually asks good questions. You know, subtext and Discord are really, really, really the only places now where I can get my dialogue with Falcons. But anyway, so one of those questions was, you know, asking about the chances the Falcons make a midseason trade for a quarterback. And that, you know, I felt like, hey, you know, that was a big topic of conversation on Twitter and, and elsewhere. And I'm sure may become an even bigger topic of conversation in the coming weeks between now and the trade deadline. So might as well, you know, put my thoughts on it now um, and, you know, pretty much nip that in the bud. And then later we might get to a couple other questions like what's going on with Tyler Algier. But let's get into that question, right? It comes from Z Falcons. What are the chances Atlanta trades for a quarterback midseason? So the answer is extremely low, extremely low. Um, you know, I just think folks need to make peace with the idea that the Falcons have made their bed with Desmond Ritter and they're going to lie in that bed for as long as possible. Now there may become, there may come a day later this year where they're willing to hop out of that bed because Desmond Ritter has, you know, metaphorically crapped the bed too many times, but I doubt that's going to be a day before the trade deadline. And I doubt that's going to be a day before Thanksgiving. Right. And even if they do hop out of that bed, you know, they're more than likely going to lay down with uh, Taylor Heineke, so to speak. Right. Not bring in someone from outside the organization. There's a reason why the Falcons paid Taylor Heineke seven million dollars a year. He's one of the highest paid backups in the NFL. And so if they decide Desmond Ritter's not the guy, then Taylor Heineke will be the guy. But, you know, for the sake of argument, let's talk about the plausibility of a potential trade midseason trade for a quarterback. And it would be pretty implausible just because it would be unprecedented that a team would make it this type of hard pivot in season away from a guy via trade, right? That usually when a team pivots away from their starting quarterback, it involves benching that 
quarterback and promoting the backup rather than giving up draft assets for someone completely outside the organization. That when we think about the history of in-season trades for quarterbacks, at least in recent NFL history, going back, you know, 10, 15 years rather than, you know, again, I don't know what it was like in 1986, but, you know, we only have really two examples in that 10, 15 year period. It was the Jimmy Garoppolo trade to the 49ers in 2017. It was the Carson Palmer trade to the Raiders in 2011. You can potentially also throw in the Sam Bradford trade to the Vikings in 2016. That wasn't in season because it happened just before the season started. Uh, but, you know, what's notable about two out of those three trades, the Bradford and Palmer trade, is that those trades happened because the team's regular starter, Jason Campbell for the Raiders and Teddy Bridgewater for the Vikings, got hurt. Um, and, you know, again, in, in the scenario where Desmond Ritter gets hurt, like Falcons aren't trading for a quarterback, they're turning to Taylor Heineke. Now, the Raiders felt, you know, Kyle, Kyle Bowler was not the guy that could keep their playoff hopes alive after uh, Jason Campbell got hurt because he started at season four and two under Campbell. And the Vikings didn't think Sean Hill, their backup behind Teddy Bridgewater, was going to put that team in, in playoff contention like they wanted to be. So, you know, they went out outside the organization to get that guy, right? Now, again, Taylor Heineke is one of the highest paid backups in the NFL, right? He's the fifth highest paid backup in the NFL. Uh, and so if you weren't if you didn't think he was capable to keep this team's playoff hopes alive in the event that you have to turn from Desmond Ritter, then why did you pay him all that money? So, you know, Garoppolo was traded to be the guy in San Francisco, right? But again, the situation that San Francisco had that year was they didn't have a Desmond Ritter, right? They had a bridge starter in Brian Hoyer and a backup in CJ Beathard. And basically everybody knew that 2017 year with the 49ers that they were just basically going to wait until Kirk Cousins became available the following year. And then they made a hard pivot midway through the season after they started the year eight, Oh, and eight. And then they basically like the Patriots called and like, Hey, you want Jimmy Garoppolo? And like, Oh, I guess we'll, we'll get Jimmy Garoppolo now rather than wait, you know, for Kirk Cousins. And that, that was the hard pivot that they made, but it wasn't away from Brian Hoyer, right? Like they were never in bed with Brian Hoyer. And so that's why, it would be virtually unprecedented that it's it'd be the first time in history that a team was, you know, said, you know, our guy, this is our guy in the case of Desmond Ritter and being like halfway through the season or before halfway through the season being like, nope, we're not going to do that. Now, I've seen a couple of weirdo conspiracy theories uh, from a couple of folks on Twitter, um, you know, sort of suggesting that maybe Ritter was never the guy. And, and this has been some months long con by this organization. And like, you know, I, I just sit here baffled and I'm like <laughs> when I see stuff like that, this is like that's the thing that gets me out of bed each and every day, guys, to do this illustrious podcast daily, because I'm like, man, if if I wasn't here and again, this is going to sound arrogant, but <laughs> like, if I wasn't here, like this is this would be the type of analysis that you would get from from certain people with, with platforms here where they would be like trying to sit here and, and sell you this conspiracy theory. And it's like that's what I mean when I say like. There's constantly so many other people out here that just blow smoke up your butt. And, and it's it's not in it's they're they're talking out your butts, out their own butts to blow smoke up your butt, sort of suggesting that a midseason trade in any shape or form is plausible. It's not, right? And like I don't think the people that are pushing that narrative are doing it for like nefarious means, like, oh, I'm gonna say this thing to get the views and the in the in the likes and whatnot. I just think they're too stupid to know that they, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, you know, someone on the, on the lockdown Falcons discord the other day was like, Twitter is the Dunning Kruger effect in, in action every day. And like, 
if you don't know what the Dunning Kruger effect, it's like basically it's like stupid people are too stupid to realize how stupid they are. Uh, like that's the easiest way to explain it without nuance. If you want to look it up, look up Dunning Kruger. But it's like you know people are talking about the Falcons making a midseason trade as if it's like a plausible reality. But let's let's play the game, right? Because I'm bored and I got nothing else to do today, and I'm sure many of you got nothing else to do today. The trade deadline is three weeks away, and let's let's play the game of what would need to happen in the next three weeks to make this completely unplausible, unprecedented event in NFL history uh, of a team making this hard pivot away from Desmond Ritter, skipping over uh, Taylor Heineke to go out and get somebody else outside the organization to save their season. What would need to happen in the next three weeks to even make that a smidge plausible? And we'll break that down as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. So in Atlanta, we believe in positionless football. And so therefore, we believe in bird dogs who are the equivalent of Bijan Robinson when it comes to clothes. You know, Bijan looks good in any formation. Bird dogs are going to make you look good in any occasion. You can wear them to the beach if you forget your swim trunks. You can rock them at the gym, go out for date night. You can wear them to the games or just when you're lounging about the house. Bird dogs invented cloud knit fabric that's going to look just like khaki, but stretches to give you that waist slimmer fit so that you don't have to sacrifice any movement. And they use an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that's going to keep you cool and dry all day long. So take advantage of this positionless product by going to birddogs.com slash locked on NFL or enter promo code locked on NFL at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NFL for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. So what would need to happen in order to make a midseason trade for the Falcons for a quarterback plausible, right? Where, you know, you ask the question, what are the chances? I won't say it's zero. I'll never say anything is zero with, with this regime. You know, after the Deshaun Watson fiasco, they're like, I'll never put anything past this regime to just completely, you know, jump entirely off the reservation with some of the decision making they made. But I would say like it's 1%. So what what would need to happen to, to raise that 1% chance of a midseason trade to something that is more significant to the, to the realm of plausibility. So step one, you know, Desmond Ritter has to be absolutely awful again in this Houston Texans game, right? Basically, I think he has to be even worse than he was in London, right? And whatever you need the picture for that, whatever that is, right? Three pick sixes, you know, him, him pulling a Nate Peterman, shout out, Hale Pitt, um, you know, throwing five picks in a half, right? Like it's got to be the worst game imaginable that a quarterback has ever played. And I, again, I know some people think the London game was the worst game. It's like, guys, you got to watch more football. Like, again, it was a bad game. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> like, it's it's probably not in the top 50 of worst games a, a quarterback has ever played. Um, you know, and so it would have to be extremely worse. Like, again, like historically worse, like the worst game ever. Five picks, seven picks, something like that for the Falcons to, to go a complete 180. Right, because they would need to pull that 180 to go to Taylor Heineke, which would be st step two of this. You know, let's build a, a path for the Falcons to make a trade for a quarterback. Right, and then step two would be you plug in Taylor Heineke for a couple of weeks, and he's also an equal level of disaster. Right, that you know you're not going to go from Desmond Ritter to Kirk Cousins to Justin Fields to Jacoby Brissett or whoever you guys are imagining the Falcons are going to trade for uh, in this midseason scenario immediately. You're going to have to exhaust all your internal options before you turn to that external option. 
And one game of Taylor Heineke is not, in my eyes, going to exhaust those options. Even if it's a bad game from Taylor Heineke, it's you're going to give him multiple games and he's going to have to be an equal level of disaster. Right. So, you know, you need to get Desmond Ritter to be the worst that the Falcons are basically going to go 180 from not even thinking about benching him to yes, we're benching him. And then you need to plug in Taylor Heineke for at least two games. And, you know, instead of throwing five picks in one game, like we're imagining Desmond Ritter do, maybe Heineke throws five picks across two games, which actually is probably more plausible, given that Taylor Heineke has a tendency to turn the ball over. He led the NFL in turnover-worthy plays last year. He was top five the previous year with Washington. Um, his turnover-worthy play rate is roughly the same as what Desmond Ritter's is this year. It was like Ritter's is 6.6, according to PFF. Heineke's is 6.3 last year. Um, you know, by the way, Jameis Winston, his 30 interception season was 5.4. Um, and, you know, we didn't talk about Taylor Heineke's issues this offseason because it was like, what's the point? Because they're not that relevant because, you know, the world where Taylor Heineke's playing is a, a world that we don't necessarily want to imagine. Like, again, short term, Taylor Heineke can give you decent uh, play to keep your playoff hopes afloat if he has to be the short term starter for a couple of games this year because Desmond Ritter gets hurt or something. Uh, but, you know, the idea of Taylor Heineke being your answer long term, you know, over the course of, you know, 10, 12 games type of thing, you know, never really seemed feasible because it would basically mean something has gone horribly wrong. Either Desmond Ritter suffered a season ending injury early in the season or he was an absolute disaster. Right. You know, the worst possible thing imaginable, uh, like, you know, again like worse than Zach Wilson, like worse than Jared Goff, worse than Deshaun Kaiser, um, the, the, that type of thing. And I, I know I compared him to some of those quarterbacks in that London game because, you know, I was in an emotional state. But, you know, I, I think one half of terrible play, you know, which is what, you know, I'm I'm in a better place now with Desmond Ritter because watching the film, I was like, okay, the first half was atrocious, but like it wasn't really the second quarter. Like the first quarter, again, I won't say it was fine, but anyway, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, <laughs> I would just say like, you know, like basically they would have to, to, you know, go from step one, which is Ritter being horrible, the worst quarterback ever, to step two being Taylor Heineke being terrible. And then maybe you get to step, step three, which is now you're making that desperation trade for a quarterback. But, you know, I, I don't think we're close to that there. You know, I, I think people need to relax a little bit. But, um, you know, if you were to get to step three, you know, and, and you're exhausted all your internal options. Would you feel comfortable with Terry Fontenot and, and Arthur Smith making that decision to go outside the organization to get the, this quote unquote savior, whoever you're picturing as this midseason quarterback? Because I, I think if we reach that point, if we got to a point where step three is, is now being entertained, where the Falcons have to go beyond the internal pieces, like, I don't think the conversations are about the quarterback anymore, guys. I think the conversation's entirely about this regime, right? And, you know, I've seen a lot of people in the last couple of days second guess some of the decisions that this regime has made in regard to the quarterback over the last few months and or weeks and or years. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think if we got to step three is basically what I'm saying. I think we would all be doing that. I'm not quite there yet because I feel like, you know, in general, I'm not a big fan of revisionist history and not to mention some of the quote unquote mistakes that have been made. I don't, I don't think are really big mistakes like they're minor nitpicks i think like you know people being like oh well ritter's struggling because he didn't get enough preseason reps and then you have other people saying ritter's struggling because he didn't compete for the job which basically means if he would have been in a competition he would have gotten less reps 
in in the summer in practice in the preseason and so like you have one side saying like he didn't get enough reps and another side saying he he got too many reps right for not having to compete for his job right and it's just like which one is it and so like for that reason like i, I think they kind of cancel each other out and both of them are pretty irrelevant to the conversation then you also have the revisionist history of like they should have started ritter sooner last year and so then they would have been able to figure out that he's no good or whatever or whatever the conclusion would have been and i don't really agree with that because again i don't i don't think starting you know it was only really realistic that the falcons would start ritter like in week 11 last year as opposed to week 15 and so three more games i don't think would have changed a whole lot like you, you wouldn't have had a more a significantly more definitive answer uh with three more starts from ritter now again i know there's also people that are like we should have started him from week one but again even if you did start him for week one like by the end of the season wouldn't you have had the same question like you know if he struggled, you would have been like, well, he didn't really have a great supporting cast around him to 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 get the most out of him. So we kind of need to give him another, you know, so like that's why I like I, I think all the revisionist history is just kind of silly. But it, at the end of the day, it's just confirmation bias. Right. It's just like if you thought Ritter needed more work in the preseason, then, you know, his struggle, his current struggles are, are only going to confirm that bias. Just like if you, you know, thought the Falcons should have gone after Lamar Jackson back in March, you know, Ritter's recent struggles is only confirming that belief. You know, just like I have a confirmation bias where like we spent the summer talking about the Falcons upgrading the wide receiver core like Corey Davis and whatnot. And while I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, hey, if we had traded for Corey Davis or Hunter Renfro, all our problems would have gone away. But certainly there is a part of me that thinks the team would be in a better, slightly better situation today if they had, you know, upgraded that wide receiver core. But I'm not going to sit here and convince you like it was a terrible decision not to to make these moves and, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, this is why, like, for me, at least with Locked on Falcons, like, I feel like we do a good job here, right? Because we're we're not focused on the past as much as other people tend to be these alleged mistakes that were made months or years ago, we tend to focus on the present in the future. And like, to me, the present is how do we get things back on track? Right. Right. How does this regime dig itself out of a hole? And let's be clear at two and two, it, the hole ain't that deep. It's like ankle deep sort of thing, which I think is, is leading to a lot of the drama where people are acting like, you know, this hole is, is super deep, you know? Uh, and I, I just don't think we're there yet. Right. You know, and I think, you know, if they can't get this thing back on track, right, then I think the conversations, you know, that's going to be the present situation. But the future then is going to, you know, the, that present in the future is going to be, should they be in charge of making future decisions if they can't get this thing back, you know, in, headed in the right direction, right? And we're not there yet. And I think certainly it's been troubling to me um, that we're four, four games into the season. And like, even though I'm not like, consumed by that idea of like this coaching staff and this regime being on a hot seat the the idea that it's like oh now this this is this is real now like it could be a thing in in a couple of weeks or months where they are legitimately on the hot sheet and that is what's troubling to me right and so it's like how do we how do we fix that how do we get aw away from that where i was feeling you know and, and as so many of you guys were feeling so good about the direction of this team over the last you know six months and it's like it's been suddenly derailed so much. And so that to me is the thing that's troubling me a lot more than necessarily why didn't Desmond Ritter get, you know, another series of work against the Dolphins. Like, but if, you know, if that's the thing that you're caught up worrying about, then, you know, do you. But, you know, we'll we'll finish our conversation in a second. But this sort of like place that we're at, again, I, I, we feel it feels like we've been it's so far away from a, a listener question that was asked 
after the two and zero start, I'd be like, oh, will we ever be under five hundred again this season? And I, w- I think my response was like, probably not if the season goes the way I think it's going to go, which technically it has because I didn't think they would beat the Lions or the Jaguars, um, you know. But like, we're so far from that, and like, I think my answer also was like. But it's too early in the season to, to, you know, to be dancing in the streets so far. Two and zero was it was a great start for this season, but you know it's a long way away from you know January when it comes to this. And, and like this is this is part of you know the extreme pendulum swings of an NFL season, right? Where like I've always been the type of person that's like people get too high on the team after a win, they get too low on the team after losses. And I feel like we've we've endured those pendulum swings over the last couple of weeks. And like, I, you know, intellectually, I understand it's not the same groups of people, right? Like the, there's, there's one set, you know, one extreme that is like super positive and super optimistic and super, you know, everything's great with the Falcons. And then there's the opposite extreme, which is like everything's the sky is falling and, you know, constantly pessimist and all that sort of stuff. And I know most people think I'm in that group. I, I try to be in the middle. But like after a win, the super positive side is crowing, you know, dancing in the streets and whatnot. And the super pessimistic side is quiet. Right. And then when the team loses, the super pessimists get loud and then the positive folks. So it's not like, you know, individual people ping ponging back and forth, although I'm sure there are a couple of people that do that. But like for the most part, it's just like two extreme groups. And like my frustration with doing this is like the Falcons winning and losing doesn't really bother me all that much. Like, you know, I've gotten used to it of being a fan for 30 years. Like I can handle the Falcons winning and losing. It's like, okay, well, you better luck next week. It's the thing that I always struggle with is dealing with these two groups. Like basically after the Falcons win and I'm like, okay, well they got to work on this. They got to improve this. And like, Oh, Aaron, you're so negative. You're always hating on them. You, you never give them any credit. And it's like, like it's fine. And then like when they lose, like it's like okay, well they they still have this going and and this it's gonna be okay and they'll probably bounce back and and, and then the the negative people are like oh you're so delusional and, and this team is terrible and fire everybody and it's just like dealing with those two groups is always the problem and we'll 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 finish with like two emails that I got over the last few days that kind of illustrate the extremes. The first one comes from Ali Khan and based off of the timestamp in the email that he sent to lockdownfalcons at mail it seems like he sent it at halftime of the London game against the Jaguars. And I'm going to read this email. And like, I, at, at that time, I was of the same mind, but you know, we'll, we'll read the second email. So he writes, I'm sorry. My expectations for Ritter were as low as yours. I thought we should start two and two, but it's just the way we have started. And there is no improvement. He seems to have been the, he seems to have been worse than I thought. We talked about him being good mentally and lacking some physical trait, but he is messing up reads, not trusting the talent he has around him. And it's not even the offensive line. That's the problem today. Is it time to hit the panic button and put Heineke in before it's too late and we miss the playoffs again? We can look for a new quarterback next year, but right now he is hurting us. There's only so much defense can do. Sorry for the negativity that comes from Ali Khan. And, you know, I felt that way too, Ali Khan, at halftime. So if that's when you fired off that email, I get it. Like, I felt the same way. I was, you know, I wasn't like, you know, the emotional state of being in the game, your fingers hovering above the panic button you know, after every snap is, is, and so like, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta send that email to drafts and then, you know, rethink it on Monday before you hit send. 
Our next email comes a couple of days later. Comes from Jim. He says, I was determined not to bug you throughout the season, but feels some context is needed. I know Desmond Ritter is holding the team back right now, but he has started a total of eight games. I went through the blogs of all the NFL teams that lost this weekend. Thanks to an underperforming quarterback, five top comments were fire, insert coach's name here, bench, insert quarterback's name here. The season is over. I've had it. Tank to get insert most popular quarterback here. Um, college quarterback here. Uh, the quarterback becomes the human lightning rod for frustrated fans. All the talk about giving Ritter the season to see if we have the right guy flew out the window with the pick six against the Jaguars. Get a grip. We could be the New York Giants fans. Daniel Jones has started 57 games in the NFL. He is on a $40 million contract. Interesting, interestingly, his stat line last night against the Seahawks was very similar to Desmond Ritter's effort against the Jaguars, except he was sacked 10 times. I am just as disappointed as you are, but I think context is helpful. And Jim, like you sent that off, uh, I guess, Monday morning or whatever it was, uh, Monday afternoon. And like, I was there with you Monday. <laughs> like, it's just, it's the two extremes. And so like, I, I sit here and I go, guys, like, you know, you're ready to hit that panic button on Sunday. And then it's like, okay, like, relax. Like, it's, it's fine, you know? And like, let's, 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 let's rein in some of this drama again you know the panic button we'll see i i think we're at a point as i said you know we're we're months away from moving off of desmond ritter but we will wrap up today's episode answering a listener question about what is going on with tyler algier to wrap up today's leftover mailbag now i'm sure many of you guys have ten dollars in your pocket and you would love to be able to turn that into 250 dollars and you can with prize picks a most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just pick two or more players pick more or less on their projected stats and the more entries you make the more money you can win right up to 25 times your money and i love prize picks it's quick it's easy i can throw it in you know right before the kickoff and you know just hit more on Bijan robinson's projected stats and uh if you want to go more or less on you know maybe nico collins or cj stroud if you're feeling particularly optimistic or pessimistic depending on what side of the fans perspective and spectrum you are go ahead all you could do is go to prizepicks.com slash locked on nfl and you can use code locked on nfl for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com slash locked on nfl and use promo code locked on nfl in lowercase prize picks is daily fantasy made easy so EE2605 in the Discord says, what are your thoughts on why Tyler Algier is not affected this year? Are there some changes in personnel packages, changes in outside versus inside, or even gap run concepts when using him compared to last year? I guess the non-effectiveness, especially the last two weeks, last two weeks is the cause he didn't he didn't have more snaps, not the other way around. So um, you know, I could sit here and go through a, a whole bunch of data, but I think th probably the, the simplest conclusion is I, I think the negative runs are probably hurting Tyler Algier a little bit more this year than last year, right? About 16% of Algier's carries this year have been for no yardage or negative yardage. And last year, that number was 7%. And then you throw in not having, you know, the 30 and 40 yard breakaway runs that he had frequently in the second half of last year. Um, I think that's leading to some of the numbers drop off. But, you know, I, I think it paints Algiers production is more symptomatic of, of the bigger issue here in Atlanta, which is the offensive line is is not being great. Right. The Falcons are getting far too many negative plays, especially on early downs. I wrote for the Falcoholic on Friday uh, in an article talking about the offensive line needing that get right game against the Texans and put out the stats that the Falcons in terms of early down plays, first and second downs, runs and passes. 
that go for no yardage or negative yardage. The Falcons are fifth in the NFL right now in the highest number. So, you know, the fifth worst team in terms of, uh, you know, that's bad. That's not fifth. Fifth is not good. Right. So 28th, I guess, is, is probably a more better way to put it. And last year in that same metric, they were 30th or the third best team, right, in terms of avoiding those negative plays on those early downs. And so I think really the situation is the Falcons are not built to be this kind of variance team. Like you go back to that 2016 Falcons team. They had a lot of negative plays in 2016, but they were able to get that back because Kyle Pitt, I'm sorry, Kyle Shanahan could dial up a, you know, a 25 yard play to Julio Jones. So it didn't really matter if, you know, Alex Mack or Ryan Schrader or whoever gave up a 10 yard sack on the previous play. Right. And so that team could play with high variance, but because of the Falcons issues with generating explosive plays, because their quarterback's inability to, you know, be efficient when, you know, he's in third and longs and whatnot as a young quarterback, you know, the negative plays, the negativity, so to speak, is hurting this team. And so that sort of high variance, that roller coaster is, I think, really hurting this team. And I think it's reflected a little bit in, in Tyler Algier's production. Like, I think the offensive line needs to be the stabilizing force. And this goes back to something you've heard me talk about many times over the last two years, that this team kind of goes where their offensive line goes. And the health of this team was not great in 2021 because their offensive line was not good. And they were able to get the most out of this team last year because their offensive line was a much more stable situation down in, down in, game in and game out. And we need to get back to that, right? It's not to sit here and blame the Falcons' problems on the offensive line, but it's just going to be really hard for the Falcons to play the way that they want to play with their offensive line being on this roller coaster, you know, where they're, they're giving up, you know, five yard tackles for loss on first down or giving up sacks off of, you know, max protect on first downs and and those things that have been happening this season. So we'll see if they get that thing back on track. And if they do, then I think you'll start to see everything else sort of click for this team, but that is going to do it again. I know some of you guys sent in some other, questions in the discord and um yeah i might as well get them i I know i'm supposed to keep these things under 30 minutes but might as well burn through these real quick seb's dad 19 s aaron what is your top three horror slash thriller films i don't really watch that many horror movies uh but the ones over the last 20 years that have kind of stuck with me are like final destination the first saw the first ring i don't really watch like horror movie sequels uh, recently in the last decade or so, cause again, I don't watch that many horror movies. Like the, the ones that kind of subverted expectations were the ones that were like, Oh, that was interesting. That was far more interesting than I thought it would be like cabin in the woods or barbarian were some of the movies that stuck with me. Um, space bar in the discord asks, how many snaps is Scotty, Scotty Miller getting on offense to the eye. His usage seems to be less prevalent than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on the Wednesday episode. He had a season high, I think 14 snaps last week. Um, and that's still underwhelming, but it does seem like the Falcons are starting to move towards uh, him and Kadero Hodge getting more snaps. And hopefully we'll we'll see more 11 personnel and three wide receiver sets that will allow them to, you know, get the running game going and whatnot. And our last question is from Brigantor. Aaron, really surprised we haven't gotten your take on the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift news. Do I have to join the subtext to get that analysis? No, you don't. I, I've been enjoying the, the, the Taylor Swift stuff. The You know, I'm not a Swifty myself. I, I know maybe like three or four. Taylor Swift times. I have a general neutral opinion to her, um, but I've been enjoying the the new energy that has been injected in this NFL season because typically things get repetitive and mundane. And so, you know, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I know there may be other people out there on the internet that aren't enjoying that. And they're like, I'm like, those people need to go to therapy. But like, you know, I don't know why this would be bothering you to the degree that it is bothering certain people. But, you know, 
uh, it's just the way the world goes. <laughs> like, you know, just like harmless, harmless stuff. Things that are literally harmless, like, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly. And it's just like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to our society. And it's like, okay, <laughs> like, it's not that serious, my guy. But, um, you know, that you, you don't have to join subtext to get that type of analysis, but you can join subtext to get, you know, um, precedent or no priority on the uh, future Q and A's um, as well as get that one-on-one -on -one information uh, or, you know, conversation with me. You know, if you want to ask me questions about whatever is on your mind, you know, if you want to ask me what I think about horror movies, then you can get that specific insight uh, with subtext is basically like, you know, you can text me back and forth. It's literally like the equivalent of having my phone number. Uh, and you also get updates from me so that you don't have to necessarily wait for, uh, you know, later in the day in the, for the podcast to drop or a couple of days later for the podcast to drop to get, you know, my response to certain things and certain news. And, you know, I, I give insight into the different roster moves and the injury report and stuff like that, that I don't typically get to on the podcast. So subtext is great for that. And you also get an extended all 22 review. So you usually get about last week, I think it was like 37 extra minutes and the previous weeks was like 25 to 30 minutes of extra film analysis that you don't necessarily get, uh, here on the regular show so that's worthwhile for you and all you got to do to join subtext is you know hit the link in the description below it's 4.99 a month but guess what you get 14 days free so you can try it out for a week or two and if you like it you can keep it if you don't like it hey no, no. it won't be the first time <laughs> people didn't like a thing that i did uh you know this is basically the first eight years of this podcast was was basically that so um you know <laughs> I'll live. You you won't hurt my feelings. So, you know, join if you want. If you want to submit questions to future Q&As, then you can do so via email at lockdownfalcons at mail.com. Don't ask me questions on, on Twitter. So I, I, ain't, I ain't about that life, Bob. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, the Discord is also the place to go. Link in the description below. So that's going to do it for us, guys. I hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back, of course, tomorrow with a postcast with myself, Jarvis, Davis, as well as Tadidra Batiste, uh, to, to break down the um, Falcons win over the Texans, as well as, um, you know, the rapid reaction. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the finger is no longer hovering above the panic button. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I make no promises. Like I've said, like I, I learned a long time ago is don't <laughs> When it comes to the Atlanta Falcons, lower your expectations. So I'm I'm expecting them to play better this week, but I know that's that's too high of an expectation <laughs> at this point. So we'll see how it goes, guys. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you. Uh, until then.